Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, O man of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they entered the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret. Glory to you, Lord. Glory to you. Peace be to you who reads the good tidings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's not always, or even very often, that one week's gospel passage follows exactly the next week's gospel passage. So if you were here last week, you heard the feeding of the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish. And this particular gospel passage is the next thing that happens in the gospel of Matthew. So it's very important that we understand that when Jesus makes his disciples get into the boat and he compels them to go to Capernaum in Gennesaret on the north side there of the Sea of Galilee, and that he dismisses the crowds that have been there all day long listening to him teach and preach, who he then fed with the five loaves and the two fish, that this whole thing that happens now is right after a very major miracle. What does Jesus do right after he feeds the 5,000? Probably over 10,000, really, if you think about the women and children with the five loaves and the two fish. He goes up, ascends a mountain, all by himself. It's a lonely, quiet, still place. He no longer has his disciples around him. He no longer has the crowds around him. The day had already been far spent, so we know we're in the evening. And he begins to pray. Not that he wasn't praying before. Not that he wasn't in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But he begins to pray intensely because the sweetest prayers are those that take place when we close our eyes, when we close our mind off to all of the other thoughts and the stimuli and the noise and the distractions, when we are completely alone by ourselves with God. This is when we have the most conducive environment for prayer to take place, for deep prayer to take place. Now, Father Timothy and Deacon Innocent and I have said again and again, and I'm going to say it again, that Jesus is always in full 100% communion with both His Father and the Holy Spirit. He exemplifies unceasing prayer. So you know that when he goes up on that lonely place 
And he prays all night long that this is for our benefit. He's doing this by way of example. Because it doesn't matter where he's at. He's going to be in perfect communion with God. But he does this to show us who are weak, who are not the God-man, who do not enjoy perfect communion with God all the time, who are beset by our busy schedules and a myriad of distractions. We need to send the crowds away. We need to send sometimes our family and our friends and our co-workers away. We need to go someplace that is lonely and quiet where we can be still. It's even illustrative that the Lord couches this kind of prayer between two very important miracles. Keep in mind that He has spent the whole day working the whole day preaching and teaching and probably healing, that he had at his feet a huge crowd of people. He was on all day long. Does that sound familiar to any of you? What would we be tempted to do after that? And I imagine a miracle of that magnitude takes some energy. We would be tempted to come in, change our clothes, have something to drink, a snack, put up our feet and say, leave me alone. I've had a really hard day. But that's not what the Lord does. What does He do for refreshment? He thanks God and He goes into this deep state of prayer. This shows that he does not take credit for all that happened. He is thanking his Father. He's thanking the Holy Spirit. He is sharing it. For us, it would be, I can't believe this just happened. It is all you, God. None of it is me. Now, that's not necessarily how we would be tempted. We'd be going, that was pretty good. I was able to keep that crowd focused all day long. Not one of them wanted to leave. They even forgot about their stomachs and their bodily needs. And then I took five loaves and two fish and I was able to multiply it and feed this huge multitude and even have leftovers and amaze my disciples. But God tells us, no, that is not the way. We need to be totally God-centered, totally dependent on the Lord. Nothing good can happen apart from Him. And so give thanks. And then He knows, because He ordered His disciples to go out on that lake, knowing that that lake would become wild, A huge storm would rise up. The waves would beat against that boat. And even though the path from Bethsaida, where the miracle took place, to Capernaum, was just along the shore of the lake, on the same side of the lake, all they had to do was hug the shoreline. He knew that the waves would come and the wind would come and it would drive that boat off course, no matter what these fishermen did, who knew that lake so well. 
and knew a boat so well that it would drive them into the middle of the lake and they would not be able to reach their destination no matter how hard they tried. More than that, they would fear for their life. The storm was so great. These boats weren't that big. He knew all of that. And he knew what he was going to do as well. And so he proceeds another huge miracle with prayer. We, when we get really busy and we look at our schedules and we see that it's packed, what do we get tempted to do? We get tempted to get there and make our to-do list and we start thinking and thinking about how we're going to solve this problem and get this thing done and how we're going to do that. And we start getting really anxious and overwhelmed and we take all of this burden upon ourselves. Not necessarily intentionally. It just happens. It's a habit for us. And the Lord is saying, Stop. Your success is totally dependent on your communion with me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, all things are possible. I will be with you through every one of those things that's a part of your day. Just focus on me and on the first thing. And then take it as it comes. This is what the Lord is teaching us by going up to that lonely place. The second thing in today's gospel He's teaching us is that these men were professional fishermen. They were experts at handling a boat. This was their home waters. They had every human skill and experience to be successful at just going from one place to the other. They weren't even fishing. For them, when they were ordered by Jesus to get into the boat and go to where He told them to go, they thought it was a slam dunk. No problem. But Jesus orchestrates it and allows things to happen in such a way that these disciples learn not to be self-reliant no matter what. Nothing in life is a slam dunk. If we realize, and I mean we really think about how much we have control over in this life, how much we even have influence over, let alone control, it is a very, very small amount. We think we have control and influence over a lot, but it's an illusion. And the older we get, hopefully the wiser we get, and we realize We do not have such control. We need to be reliant on God. And so these disciples are trying to reach their destination not in the first third or first quarter of the night, not in the second quarter of the night, not even three quarters into the night, but in the fourth watch of the night Matthew says. They have been trying all night long to reach something that it should have taken them a half hour or 45 minutes to reach. Not only that, but as I said, they're fearing for their lives. They're thinking that their boat is going to sink. And they are all alone. In the previous story, earlier in Matthew, they're in a storm as well, but Jesus is at least in the ship with them. He may be asleep, 
and they may have to wake him to save them. But in this case, they know that he has sent them away, and they know that he has, was his habit, is up in the mountain praying. They feel all alone. Are they? Even though Jesus isn't physically in their presence, are they really all alone? That's how they felt. But is it true? How often do we feel certain things? We feel a certain way, but that doesn't make those feelings reality. It's our perception of how things are. And if we give in to them rather than our faith, then we end up in a roller coaster of life. So Jesus, after all night praying, walks upon the waters of the Sea of Galilee in the midst of this storm. I would have loved to have seen that. And the disciples, as afraid of the storm and the waves and the wind as they were, were even more afraid at seeing this spectacle coming near them, walking on the water. They have no idea who this could be, simply because it blows their mind. It's beyond their imagination that even Jesus could have authority over the elements to that degree. So this is something that we've heard story-wise over and over and over again. But imagine yourself as a disciple on that boat, never heard, having heard this before, and already being in a great state of vulnerability and weakness and seeing this. You would have thought it was a ghost yourself. And you would have been ready almost to throw yourself into the lake to escape the spectacle drawing near you. But Jesus, knowing this, said, Be of good cheer, it is I. In other words, rejoice, it is I. Do not be afraid. More than do not be afraid, have joy in your heart. I'm with you. You were never alone. You never had to rely on yourself. I'm the one that ordered you to do this. I'm going to repeat that. I'm the one that sent you onto the lake. And I know everything. You're being obedient to me, so why are you afraid? If you're doing what I'm asking you, no matter how it looks, have faith that I am with you and I will see it through with you. Whatever happens, it is out of my love and for your good because you're being obedient to me. Think about that. As long as we are doing God's will, as long as we are being obedient to Him, we can have peace and faith that God will help us to see it through and whatever happens along that path, God will be there to make it good for me and everyone around me who responds in the right way. And so, Peter, who has faith, who is a believer, recognizing that it's Jesus, says... If it is your will, bid for me to come to you on the water. How many of us, if we're honest, would have said that to Jesus in the midst of that storm? Not I. Okay, I don't need adrenaline like that. The storm would have been enough. The Lord said, come. And Peter got out of the boat. 
Now keep in mind that the wind is still raging and the waves, who knows how high they are, but they must have been coming over the edge of that boat for these disciples to be afraid. And Peter has got his focus, like I'm looking at Deacon, zeroed in a laser beam. It's Peter and Jesus. Peter, at that moment, as he takes one step and then the next step, he is not focused on the wind. He's not focused on the waves. He's not focused on his inability to do this. He's not focused on the people behind him watching, thinking how crazy you are, Peter. He is focused on the Lord. And as long as he is, he's good. He's doing what the Lord did. He's not sinking. But the moment he takes his focus off of the Lord and starts to notice the wind and the waves, that's when he says, Am I doing this? I can't do this. And he begins to sink. That is the perfect picture of self-reliance versus God-dependence. The moment we think it's us... The moment we get distracted by the things around us and we become self-conscious and we lose God-consciousness, we, no matter what we're doing, begin to sink. And even if we're successful, all the worse, because guess what will happen? We'll take credit for it. And we begin to trust in ourselves. We begin the habit of self-reliance, which is a dead end. Peter begins to sink and he immediately cries out, Lord, save me. There are no more important words that could pass our lips than Lord Jesus Christ, save me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. The moment that happens, Jesus puts out his hand, he grabs Peter, and he prevents him from sinking. He puts him up on top of the water, and he places him back in the boat, And guess what happens the moment Jesus enters into the boat? The wind and the waves cease. The storm, by his command, ends. John, the evangelist, says that then the boat is immediately docked at its destination. Matthew and Luke, they don't say that so much. They say then it arrives at its destination. But John makes the point of saying that not only did the storm end, but the boat immediately arrived at its destination by God's grace. So my dear brothers and sisters, what I want to leave with you is two things. Our ability to remain God-conscious and God-dependent, which is the first point, is totally dependent on our commitment to get out of the busyness of our day, to get out of the noise, to cut off all of the thoughts, to go to a lonely place by ourselves every single day, whether at the beginning or at the end or in the middle or all of the above, and to enter into deeper communion and prayer with God, to thank Him, to remember Him, and to cultivate a relationship with Him that stays with us throughout the day so that we are able to always say, Lord, bid me to come to You on the water. Bid me to come to You and do this and this and this. Whatever Your will is, I will not fear. 
I will be free and I will have faith and I will have peace to follow it through knowing that no matter how alone it seems, I am never alone. You are always with me. If I'm obedient to you, then you are in me, you are leading me, you are behind me, and you are beside me. These two points is what I'd like to leave with you today. Amen.